1: Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed?
0: Can I make my side softer?
1: Can I make my side firmer whenever I want? Can, Can we sleep, sleep cooler? Sleep Number does that, cools up to eight times
2: faster, and lets you choose your ideal comfort on either side. 94% of Sleep Number smart sleepers report better sleep. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.
1: Ground transportation is something we all deal with on a daily basis, whether it's in our cars, on a bus, or the subway. Navigating poor road conditions during inclement weather can be very treacherous, but new technologies and innovative thinking are working to keep people safe. Today we're joined by Paul Paisano from the Road Weather Committee of the Transportation Research Board. Paul understands that ground transportation infrastructure is a vital asset that cannot be neglected. With extreme weather conditions becoming more prevalent, we must ensure that the meteorological and transportation communities are working together to pave the way for smarter, safer, and more sustainable methods of travel. Paul, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, here it comes. If you've listened to Weather Geeks or have sampled it at all, the first question out of the gate to every Weather Geeks guest is, how'd you get into weather? Was it an experience, something that happened as a kid, or something you happened upon later in life?
2: Yeah, um, at the risk of losing all credibility, uh, I got into weather uh, as an unplanned career move. Uh, I studied transportation engineering. My degrees are in civil engineering, and I started working in research at the Federal Highway Administration in the traffic safety research area doing crash analyses. And One day I came into the office and my boss said, oh, you're going to now work on rural intelligent transportation systems. (laughs) And I said, okay. Uh, This was in the mid-90s when the whole idea of of applying technology to the highway environment was brand new and everybody was really excited about bringing cameras and variable message signs to the highways. And uh, most of that work was being done in urban areas and I got stuck, so to say, in the rural ITS area. And... Uh, having then reached out to the state transportation professionals to talk about where there might be opportunities to bring transportation and uh, in, in, technology into the rural environment, everybody kept coming back to the weather. The biggest challenge in rural areas at that time was was how do we deal with and how do we use technology to address the weather challenges that we have in rural areas? So. Um, that was that was that was how I got into it. Um, I was um, I never really thought much about it, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. But uh, it 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 was a um a wonderful opportunity, and I I was then able to uh, build it out into a much broader program, certainly beyond just the rural environment.
1: And you heard Paul mention some of his uh, background, so let me just give you some of his background. He has a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in civil engineering from the University of Maryland. He's the chair of the Road Weather Committee at the National Academy's Transportation Research Board. And he spent over 30 years at the Federal Highway Administration Road Weather Management Program. So uh, we're talking to someone that I've, I've been familiar with throughout my career in the meteorological circles and the American Meteorological Society and so forth. So uh, it's really it's by happenstance that we have you as a guest because Paul and I are collaborating on something else uh, later in the year, I guess, next year. And so I just thought this would be an awesome topic for weather geeks. We've had the Federal uh, Aviation Administration on FAA. And I think people are more familiar with FAA than they may be with FHWA. So give our listeners a little sort of 101 on what the role of that agency is. Because again, I think people fly and they hear FAA and so forth. And some may be familiar with FHWA, but others may not. So give us a little sort of primer on the agency.
2: All right, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because there are certainly differences between how the FAA and the and FHWA work. Uh, federal Highway Administration, their primary role is to execute the Federal Aid Highway Program. So we don't we or we I say we I'm I'm still sort of sometimes tend to put my federal I do highway not all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> they the Federal Highway Administration does not own and operate any of the nation's highways. Even the interstate highway system is owned, managed and and maintained by the State Departments of Transportation. So at the Federal Highway Administration, their their responsibilities are to uh, provide the uh, revenues from the federal gas tax to go back to the states as uh, a portion uh, by formula to go to help the states uh, build, operate uh, their highway system. So where in the 60s and 70s, certainly the biggest emphasis was on building roads, uh, over the more recent decades, the focus has been on, okay, how do we better operate and maintain what has been built and so there's now a role as well in terms of how to how to better operate the system and the, and where technology can come in so there's there's a research component to the federal highway administration some portion of the 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 highway dollars are used for research and that's where we would get into um, when i was working there we would get into programs to look at things like weather and what and 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 we would invest in the high risk research programs that the state DOTs, departments of transportation, would not be able to afford to to research uh, and explore um, new ways of, of doing things. How to you know do to uh, do applied research to help the, the the states and also cities, counties, local agencies better operate and maintain the system. So that's where the the niche then was on where does, what's the weather component to that is where I got involved and
1: in. and that's a great pivot to. geek out. Let's geek out for a second. This is weather geeks. Let's weather geek out. (laughs) I mean, I think people intuitively, because we drive and, and know the challenges with weather, it's raining here in the Atlanta area right now, and you know, that's obviously going to cro- ramp up the hazard and traffic and accidents and so forth. But let's just, I want to march through some, just going to throw some weather terms out there and give us your sort of a reaction from a transportation perspective. So the first one is rain. What are the challenges there in diagnosing and predicting rain impacts on traffic and transportation?
2: Right, certainly um that's rain is a good example of uh, impacts because you can actually have uh, anytime it rains anytime there's any type of precipitation it 's going to slow traffic down it's uh, going it's going to it's gonna reduce friction uh, on the pavement surface uh, so there's going to be a need and, and as people you know people should slow down, but it does also mean. Uh it can result in higher congestion uh and uh um, more crashes because people are um maybe they're they're driving like they drive when everything is dry and clear and not realizing that they need a little bit more distance between them and the vehicle in front of them and and they and you have more crashes um when it rains uh again in addition to the um increase in um, congestion because people just move more slowly.
1: What about just the extreme rainfall that leads to flooding? Are there challenges there to roadway infrastructure, bridges even? Uh, Well, not so much bridges, but I I know sometimes when I'm traveling on the uh, interstates and so forth. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll even to myself say, boy, I bet this area floods <laughs> when there's a lot of rain around. And I'll sometimes even see a little meteorological instrumentation uh, on some bridge overpasses and so forth. So um, do you think a lot in your world about sort of the extreme rainfall aspects from a transportation standpoint?
2: Absolutely. And again, this gets back to um, needing to inform drivers about adverse weather conditions and those extreme weather events and, the, and the, particularly the heavy rainfalls um, are a, a specific case where we need to let people know uh, what's going on out there so they can take the appropriate action. And so uh, the increase in, in precipitation or um, intensity of, of rain is going to cause more flooding events uh, and it's going to potentially lead to you know, very high risk uh, environments where people are maybe driving down roads where they shouldn't be. And, and the, of course we have, uh, the weather service has great, um, approach to things through the uh, through their programs like the the turnaround don't drown message which is a really nice way to to stress the importance but the problem with something as uh, on that level is it's not specific to me when I'm going down the this road or that road or and when I'm traveling and so the need for timely accurate relevant and actionable information about when where those conditions occur on the highway are really what what is most useful to help save lives.
1: Now I want to talk about something that we personally experienced here in the Atlanta area back the right before I was going to preside over the AMS meeting in Atlanta in 2013 during my year as president the snowpocalypse event or whatever they were calling it here which really wasn't a major snow event it was two inches or so but what what happened in that event we get snow obviously here in Atlanta but we were in a situation where the temperatures were well below freezing that particular day. So things that were falling as snow was freezing immediately on the road. So what are the challenges and opportunities in terms of road conditions and transportation as it relates to freezing conditions? Because uh, it's a large part of our country that deals with that here in the South, we occasionally do.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And that's exactly uh, highlights the difference between weather and road weather. You know, what's happening in the atmosphere may be completely different to what's happening on the road surface. And, and it, it creates, it's a whole different domain that needs new different types of processes to understand how that weather is going to affect the roads. And so uh, things like pavement temperature becomes uh, the most, one of the most critical, if not the most critical piece of information during the wintertime to know whether that snow, when it hits the pavement. Is it going to melt? Is it going to freeze? You know, it, even or or if you have a freezing rain event, is that liquid precipitation going to freeze as soon as it hits the roads? And uh, that's where you you it creates this this uh, specific area within the weather community of of that boundary layer. And I use boundary as the actual physical boundary between the surface and the and the air, not things that are kilometers above oh, the me
1: first one in, in, tr- in meteorology the boundary layer for the weather geeks listeners is generally that first zero to one kilometer layer of the atmosphere where the surface influences the atmosphere but i, I know his use of boundary layers a little bit different
2: right so we're looking at what's happening on the ground and and again what's happening you know whether the snow uh, accumulates on the grass next to the pavement versus melting because the pavement happens to have been warmed by the sun that day there's a difference there and knowing how that's going to play out is is extremely critical so that particularly from that again from the maiden, highway maintenance side they know what actions to take and the idea of not just waiting until that snow falls or the ice forms to then do something about it, but to be proactive uh, is is absolutely the the way to go. And and the states are doing great, and, and, and the maintenance community is doing a great job doing that because they have road weather information, because they have forecasts of, not just of the atmosphere, but of the pavement surface. So they know 10, 12, 20 hours out, I, I'm, my pavement temperature is going to go below freezing. I need to apply chemicals to the road prior to this event so that we don't have these um, the accumulation and, and then the resulting crashes and and such because of it.
1: And that was a big sort of sort of solution or set after the our Atlanta event. I know our state government and others really invested heavily in new systems to get at those. And I think you mentioned something that may be a little bit of a surprise to our listeners. You've mentioned the term road weather, Uh, and I'm certainly familiar with that, but it is kind of a sub-discipline. Talk about now in weather, we actually, part of what we do is we take observations and we do modeling in order to understand things. How do we get observations for road weather and and, and is there any modeling involved?
2: Yes, uh, and yes. <laughs> the, the actually we, again, this this was uh, a solution that was learned in the 90s when some state DOT uh, maintenance professionals went to Europe, uh, particularly to uh, Scandinavia, to see that they were putting uh, weather sensors uh, next to the roadway and into the roadway to measure pavement temperature and 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 the the, the conditions at and near the roadway surface. Uh, and and they were able to use that those observations to feed into uh, models, particularly heat balance models that, that you can then use to predict how that pavement temperature is going to change over time. And uh, again, that that like you say, that's a subdiscipline within certainly within the weather world. And uh, and so there so there's the need for those observations. And and getting back to your point about Georgia, um, the reason why the state may not have invested in them prior to it because they're expensive. And like you say, you don't have a whole lot of, of these types of events in Georgia. So the, 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 the DOT is um, pressed with a difficult decision. Do I invest a lot of money into this uh, network of fixed sensors along the roadside uh, and all of this equipment to, to maintain the road for events that may only happen three or four times a, a, a season? Um, and the answer, obviously, is yes, you need to invest in these. Bec- and because you can't afford to have the snowpocalypse events and have the city shut down and lead to the to the not only the crashes, but the hazards and the, and the, the danger that it puts people under if they're stranded on the roadway for hours at a time. So there's definitely, uh, and there is a big network of now of, of sensors. And since the 90s, the state DOTs have invested in uh, the, uh, a big network of sensors along the roadside to measure the, the, the road conditions. Uh, and it, it's, it continues to advance where originally it was pucks in the pavement, we would call it, which is the actual sensors embedded in the pavement uh, now you can measure that um, through non-intrusive sensors on the roadside by pointing infrared beams down to the pavement to the pavement you can measure temperature and it's a lot easier uh, to do that and so there's a lot of a lot of uh, technology out there and it's being used uh, by a number of agencies to it started out as as a source for winter maintenance decisions but then we recognize over time that hey this this is there's a wealth of information in these observations how do we use it for other purposes as well
0: what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this.
1: back on the weather geeks podcast and i'm dr marshall Shepard from the university of georgia i'm talking with paul paisano of the many uh, forms i'm going to talk about uh, his former i mean his previous career at federal highway but i'm going to now lead into what he's currently up to we're talking about navigating the challenges of weather and transportation i know right now you're currently working with the transportation research board i'm certain than unless you're in our community or in your community, most people listening to Weather Geeks right now have no idea what that is. So, give us a little one-on-one on that.
2: Right. So, the Transportation Research Board, as you said, is part of the National Academies, and it is—it's a huge uh, group that uh, leads, is the leader in, across the the board for for transportation research, uh, bringing to it brings together. Uh, professionals across the, the transportation community, mostly engineers, but also uh, certainly um, sociologists, psychologists, uh, technology professionals, and uh, looks at where do we need to be focusing our research efforts uh, again across the full breadth of the transportation lifecycle, from planning to design of the highways, construction of the highways, operating the, the, what's been built and maintaining what's been built. So there's, there's, there's a, a huge amount of research in all of those areas that goes on. And TRB, the Transportation Research Board, is the body that helps bring all of that together. Um, I liken it to the American Meteorological Society, where AMS brings together public-private academia to look at weather. TRB does the same to look at transportation, but, but more f- focusing specifically on the research side of it. And then there's other bodies that focus more on the applicate. Well, they, they, they work on ap- applic- applying the research results as well, certainly. But other bodies are also looking at, at how to, to apply.
1: One, one, que- one question that comes to mind, and it kind of circles back to the previous conversation we had before the break. You were talking about road weather and sensors in roads beside the roads and modeling uh, heat balance or surface balance models, so forth. I recall a few guests that we've had on Weather Geeks in the past, actually from more of the private sector, we dealing more with sort of the other aspect of transportation and roadway, which is that now cars have sensors in them. Uh, they have you know, temperature sensors. They have things that can keep them on the roads and so forth. Uh, does a transportation i mean does your board think about that aspect of the problem too, in terms of how information that may be in our cars or maybe in a truck fleet s- sensor system and others can be utilized or are you primarily focused more on the infrastructure side uh,
2: absolutely looking at at the vehicle side of it as well and and as we've talked about the use of technology uh, the so much work had been going on putting the technology on the within the infrastructure. And at the same time, now, we've seen the technology boom on the vehicle side of it. And we've always, since day one, we've looked at where the opportunities lie to utilize the data that these vehicles are collecting. We, we did some studies uh, to assess that data. And we found, you know, certainly temperature uh, is available. Air That's air temperature. It's not pavement temperature. Um, and, we stud- and we learned that there tends to be a warm bias in the vehicle um, as might be expected, but it varies from, from vehicle manufacturer to manufacturer. And so there's need to better understand you know, what is that data telling us and how good is the data to be used for uh, to fill in the gaps, certainly, because you'd have, you know, tens, uh, maybe a hundred kilometers between Fixed sensors on the roadway there 's a lot of weather happening between those sensors. How can we use the vehicle to be that source of information between what 's happening but, but there 's a lot of great work in fact there 's a company in Sweden that is um, has a, a software solution to use data off of the vehicle to determine pavement surface conditions so slickness i mean it 's a surrogate for friction, which is a super critical piece of information from the highway community what you know if, if you know what you're friction is that it tells you what actions you need to take to, to treat the road, but also with, um, with whether the vehicles need to be slowing down and taking some specific action. And so there's, there's a, a wealth of opportunity there. The, the challenge with the, on the automated vehicle side of things, the connected vehicle, is that most of this work is happening with the, strictly within the private sector, so um, there's less accessibility to that data. Um, to be able to to look at it and play around with it. Um, I know there's a lot of great work going on within the private sector to look at this, but it's not as readily available to the the community at large. Um, but we did work with a lot of state DOTS to put additional sensors on their fleets to measure pavement temperature, uh, air temperature, visibility, those sorts of things. And um, we've done another. We we within the community are continuing to look at how to make use of that data to Um, help in the the decision support for those who operate and maintain, but then also those who use the system.
1: Now, I know our paths have recrossed because in 2021, early 2021, you're planning the, I guess, virtual conference of the TRB. Right. I know there are going to be various sessions and so forth. I'll be a part of one of them. Uh, What are your, first of all, is this a meeting you have every year? And I assume it is, it's is called the annual meeting. Mm-hmm. And then what are the goals or what are you trying to achieve with that? Are you talking just to people within this community or are you talking to stakeholders, policymakers? What, what are you up to with this virtual meeting?
2: Right, so, so the Transportation Research Board annual meeting is the transportation uh, conference uh, across the board. Uh, more than 10,000 people come together um, to, uh, hear presentations and meet through a very, a very large committee structure to try to figure out what's going on where um, and it's always it was always the biggest challenge for the few of us who were in the road weather world trb week and ams week would often overlap and we always had that challenge of trying to decide what are we going to go to trb we're going to go to ams this year but mm-hmm. uh <laughs> the um the, the this within the road weather com- committee we're sponsoring one of uh, a lectern session or a, a panel discussion to bring experts together to look at what's going on within the re- weather and climate research world that we on the transportation side may not even be aware of, and how do you convey that information to the transportation community so that we can figure out how to apply it to the transportation challenges and so that's one that's just one session within thousands that are going to be going on and where it normally is a one-week conference um, because it's gone virtual this year it's going to be a month <laughs> they're holding various committee meetings for the in the first half of the month and then technical sessions the second half of the month um, so it gives people the opportunity to attend as many sessions as possible, uh, which is good because there's always 50 concurrent activities and you want to go to five of them and you never can. So um, I think this is an opportunity and it it relates back to work that we did um, in the, again, in the early um, 2000s, where we We started this uh, this conversation between uh, the weather and transportation communities that was was there but not to the level that that it needed to be to really look at the where where the the opportunities lie and so uh, a federal Highway invested in development of a maintenance decision support system and brought together five in, uh, labs, national labs on the weather side that had been doing great work, but wasn't getting applied to the highway world. So that's, that's like NCAR, uh, the National Severe Storms Lab, um, Oceanic and Atmospheric Research, all of the, the, those bodies, uh, MIT Lincoln Labs, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, engineer, uh, their, their winter lab. Um, brought all those people together to really think through how can we do great uh, new new research to affect the transportation world, and that's what we want to have that conversation together. We want to spark that that conversation now, uh, some 20 years later, to say, okay, what what else has been going on? Because there's, there's again so much great research going on in the in the weather and climate world that we don't know about on the transportation side, and I want to try to foster that conversation. Uh, with you and and others uh, to um, figure out where where we can build on some of these great great achievements. And if I may add to you had a guest on, uh, Jamie Sims uh, from NOAA spoke about the um, uh, AI. And, and where uh, there's great work going on in that area. I think as well, after listening to that podcast, I'm thinking there's gotta be some great road weather applications for AI. And yet I, I don't know that, that we've really invested in that. So that's what I wanna try to, to have that, is try to figure out where, where the opportunities lie to, to do more great road weather research.
0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: And we're back on the Weather Heat's podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and we're talking all about road weather, opportunities, and challenges with Paul Paisano. This last segment, Paul, I want to kind of pick your brain on a couple of different areas. One, I mean, and you kind of hinted at this in your previous answers, but I mean, you, you're really kind of at the forefront of this field. I mean, and you just mentioned AI and shout out to Dr. Jamie Sims from NOAA, because I know she's doing quite a bit in that area. No, and I I agree. I think I, I wrote an article in Forbes, Paul, I guess about a year or so ago now asking experts across the weather spectrum, what are, uh, sort of the key opportunities that they see going forward in meteorology and AI, and machine learning just kept coming up, kept coming up. So I think it is going to cross into your world and others as well. But what are, talking specifically about weather, what are the key challenges that you see? The, I mean, the, the things that you need. That if you had an unlimited budget and know the technologies there, the, the know how is there. I mean, what would be on your wish list, sort of from a zero to five year time frame, mm-hmm. to really get your community where it needs to be? I mean, what are what are some wish list items for your community? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think that there there's again number of different things that we could be pursued. One is, is just an area of observations, you know, better utilize and better understand uh, how these, these mobile observations can be Used to feed into uh, these Im- impact-based decision support systems. So I think there's a, there's a lot of work in that area that needs to take place.
1: Let me, um, let me pause you for one second, because again, I know what you mean and you know what you mean, but I, there may be some listeners at WeatherGues, because we have a very broad listener base, and shout out to all our listeners out there for hanging in there with us as we get through COVID and have to tape this in our Basement studios and so forth, and occasional audio glitches. So, just thank you all for staying with us. But when you say a decision support system to the average person, it may not be in our world. What what is a decision support system?
2: Okay, uh, good question. Um, I'm thinking again. What we've done on the the winter maintenance side is that when we developed the maintenance decision support system, it says not only it, it, it's a system that that brings the weather uh, forecasts. And, and applies it to a decision tree from a winter maintenance manager's perspective. So I spoke earlier about pre-treating roads before a, a rain or snow event occurs um, to keep the ice from bonding to the pavement. In order to know when and where to apply that material, uh, you need a forecast and and it's not just that it's going to snow but again as uh, you also as i mentioned earlier you need to know is that snow going to stick to the pavement when is it going to happen how long is it going to happen when is it going to end so that i know how much material i need to put down on which roads at what time so it's turning weather information into a decision Decision whether uh, a, a transportation-related decision, treating when to treat the roads. But there's there's so much work, and that is a second area that I want to talk about, which is um, just the the breadth of decision making that occurs. Whether you're the the winter maintenance manager, the the traffic manager, trying to uh, provide uh, appropriate traveler information to the traveling community, the highway to the to road users about when and where to travel. Uh, it's the, the, the travelers themselves, like as we discussed earlier, knowing whether or not they should be driving down a road that may be flooded. It's, it, it, it's the need for turning weather information into a transportation-based decision. Yeah. So, and, and there's still so much more work that, that, that we can be doing in this area for the, all the different types of decision makers that are out there.
1: One thing that I, you know, as I've listened to you talking, you were talking about AI. You know, I some of my own personal research and my research group at the University of Georgia is in urban weather and climate. And we've been exploring things like using people's cell phones and information to kind of get dense information on, uh, I guess, what you would call crowdsourcing. Um, are those kinds of areas things that you're that could be of value? I mean, people have, again, you talked about that. There's potential information from cars and so forth, but I'm, I'm I'm thinking about potential crowdsourcing applications and information. You know, the mping is something that the National Weather Service NOAA uses, where people sort of record on that app. And by the way, if you don't have mping, go download mping. M-Ping. Uh, I think uh, MPEG, Is it mping or mpe? I think it's mping. Uh, it's an app that you can download and you can report drizzle conditions or rain conditions or hail. Uh, I use it on my uh, phone as well. Um, are you all using or thinking about using things like crowd sourcing and those types of things?
2: Yes, and, and that, that data is certainly being used just to monitor traffic flow at all, but it also is being used um, within the weather, uh, the road weather world as well. And um, But this gets back to one of the things that we were alluding to when we talked about FAA versus Federal Highway, and I, and I spoke about how there is no federal operational um, authority for the road weather world. So you end up with a very Distributed network of private sector and public sector services, um, which it, that's the way the world is, and so we just deal with it. But it creates a lot of challenges because there could be uh, a great opportunity to be to be doing this crowdsourcing and, and pulling these observations off of phones or, or vehicles. But where that data goes, how it gets utilized, how it gets ultimately turned into a decision. Some type of decision support and gets disseminated to the public there is no like there is no aviation weather uh, program there isn't you know there's no there's no single authority that's going to take that in and and do that work so you end up having a very distributed uh system out there uh and potentially disconnected system and so there's there's there are things happening but it's not uniform um and it, and it cre- can create some information consistency problems as well because you're getting a lot of different information from a lot of different sources that may be inconsistent and conflicting.
1: That was was actually interesting because I wanted to kind of go there with the next question. You kind of led me into it. This was something I've noticed during the COVID and coronavirus challenge that we've dealt with as well. Uh, You had all these groups, different groups with their models of COVID-19 and virus spread and you know peaked at times for hospital beds and so forth but everyone had their own approaches whereas in the weather world, we have a National uh, Center for Environmental Prediction. And so there's sort of a corralling of all of this information in the same sense. So it sounds like you're dealing with a very similar issue and that there's a lot of things going on, but there's no sort of endpoint that then can kind of uh, synthesize this information, the useful information. So uh, perhaps <laughs> this is something that I'm sure will be a discussion point going forth in your, your conference and your meeting in January, but going ongoing as well. Um, as we draw to close here, what, how, how is your community thinking about, or concerned with, or dealing with the the specter and here and now problem of climate change?
2: Right, so that's certainly something that uh, we are, are well aware of, and like you say, the, the, to the extent that that leads to more extreme weather events, um, we need to have the build in resiliency into our world and think about um, not only how to deal with the the, the types of events that we're Familiar with, but the beyond, you know, the 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 more um, the heavier snowfall events, the more frequent events. Um, how do we, or the the fact that instead of snow, it may be an icing event because of the way the there's some warming going on in, in the different atmospheric layers. So um, there, it, there's a, there's certainly awareness within the operations and maintenance side of the transportation world i know there's there's a lot of work going on in the planning and design side of when, with regards to climate the biggest challenge there up, up until fairly recently has been the um, uncertainty surrounding the climate models i mean there was so much uncertainty that it was that it was really difficult to then make transportation decisions because the, you'd look at some of the, the the model output and it would say well it's probably going to be warmer here but it might be colder (laughs) it's like okay wait what you know what's what is the answer there what do i do about that and until or now that as we're seeing the regional climate models get better and downscaling happening uh that's gonna that's gonna bring in more confidence into what's going to be happening on the climate side to um help us figure out okay what does that mean what do we need to be doing on on the transportation side then
1: yeah. And let really me just mentioned downscaling. This is something I deal with quite a bit for the viewers that aren't familiar with that term. Uh, a climate model operates on much larger scales. So, uh, the, if you think about the pixels in your cell phone, there are these little megapixels that make up your picture and the more pixels you have on your phone, the more detailed the picture is because it's smaller. Um, so you sort of take that to the modeling world, uh, the footprint of a particular pixel of a climate model, if you will, may be the size of an entire um, quarter of a state, and so you get a blob that's representing temperature and rainfall in the model over North Georgia. <laughs> How do you make a decision for a census block in Atlanta because it's, they're not they're mismatched resolution-wise? So we have these ways of downscaling the information from those larger scales to the smaller scales using statistical techniques, dynamical modeling, and so forth. um, that has always been one of the particular challenges with making climate model information useful for people like Paul, who want to make decisions on the scale of a city or a network of roads and so forth. So that's a, that's a, that's a big challenge. So I really appreciate that you, you brought that up in your remarks. Um, Paul, where can people find out more about what you and your organization are up to? Are you personally? Are you on Twitter, social media, websites?
2: Um, I am on, on Twitter as peep as at know, although I actually don't do a whole lot of tweeting about road weather. I, should, um, I don't have as good an answer for that as I should. Uh, we do have a, a, there's a website for um, the Road Weather Committee and I can, um, at TRB, and I can No, we can do that. Yeah, So You're it's also. the Road
1: Weather Committee and it's TRB. Google that if you can and, um, and find that. And I'll come back to you because I am going to now do something we always do. And maybe you'll, you'll have it by the time I'm done with this. It's the time of, for our geek. Of the week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Robert Oliveris. Rob is from Glendale, California and is a utility engineer and an official weather guy for his department there. Even though the Los Angeles metro area doesn't see many storms outside of the wet season, Rob is a proud storm spotter for the National Weather Service. When storms actually do roll through Southern California, they are really quite spectacular. If you're someone you know should be the next Geek of the Week or Weather Geek of the Week, as we like to say, uh, feel free to check out our social media pages. Any, any final parting shots or words you'd like to say, Paul?
2: Uh. Just thank you very much for, for this opportunity. It's great. I, I was thinking, I, I had my list of all things I want to talk about. We only scratch. I feel like we only scratched the surface because I think there's so much more that we could have discussed, but this was great. And I really appreciate the, the opportunity to to get the road weather word out there.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, whenever I hear a guest say that, that just means a part two of the podcast episode. So note to self and to producers, thank you so much for joining us Paul, on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepherd from the University.